This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to our podcast. This is Camp Hacker, episode 107, recorded on the 14th of March, 2018. On today's show, supporting staff mental wellness. If you would like easy, automatic, and free updates of our podcast, you can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or most other places you get your favorite podcasts. This week's Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by camp pros like you who support the show on Patreon. If you've got even one good idea from the Camp Hacker podcast, you can show your support for the show for as little as $1 per month. That's right, even $1 a month plays a big part in the production of every Camp Hacker podcast, and it helps us reach camp pros all around the world. For chipping in, you'll get some great rewards too, just like a Kickstarter campaign. Please go to patreon.com forward slash camphacker. And hey, this month we wanted to give a special, special thank you to these patrons who've increased their pledges to help cover the cost of producing this Camp Hacker episode. Seth Hauser, Andy Lyon, you two have been longtime supporters of the show, and we wanted to thank you for letting your awesome out, Camp Mavericks. We hope that the two of you and everyone out there enjoys the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, Camp Pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I'm a summer camp marketing and strategy consultant, and I help summer camps translate what they do so more families insist on sending their kids to summer camp. Hi, my name is Dan Weir. I'm the Director of Camping Services here at Frost Valley YMCA. Frost Valley is a year-round camp conference education facility up in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Um, we're about uh, two and a half hours from Manhattan. And uh, this was my 21st summer of working here this past week. And my name is Gabrielle Rail. I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Waro. Camp Waro is an all-girls camp situated in the Laurentian Mountains, and we focus on creating a positive, safe community for girls in both French and English. Hi, I'm Amanda Grassick. I'm the camp director at Easter Seals Camp Wood Eden. We're one of two summer camps run by Easter Seals Ontario, and we provide overnight summer camp services for uh, campers, uh, youth and young adults living with physical disabilities. Amanda, welcome to Camp Hacker. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, Amanda, how, how did camp, your camp journey start? Yeah, my camp journey started uh, with my parents, actually. They started dating at camp in the early 70s, and uh, my brother and I like to say that we never really had a chance to escape from that. <laughs> um, that was like kind of the foundation of their relationship. Uh, so I started attending camp in Alberta, YMCA camp called Camp Chief Hector, uh, when I was six years old. And I had one summer I decided to be a real adult and not come back to camp. And that lasted about two and a half weeks. Uh, and then I took a job as a janitor at a camp to get back into the, the swing of things. So um, I've been involved in camping working for about 22 years now and um, have traveled all over the country. Uh, and it's been like a wonderful experience, yeah. And you, uh, you have that, that awesome privilege of uh, raising your family at camp, too. Yeah, yeah. I met my wife at a, at a camp, which is um, uh, wonderful. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I already knew so much about her from seeing her interact with uh, high-needs kids. I, I kind of had a, a quick snapshot into, like, what she would be like, um, you know, in difficult situations and certainly raising children. And um, since we've moved to Wood Eden, it's, it's been wonderful. I'll be at my 7.30 a.m., uh, senior staff meeting in the morning and, and uh, both my kids and my dog and my wife will like walk by uh, on their daily walk around the property. So it's been a pretty wonderful experience. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, for you, what was your, I mean, you had this moment when you didn't go to camp and, and you missed it and fought to get back, but was there a particular moment in your camp story that um, 
it was the time you said to yourself, I am camp for life. Yeah, and that happened uh, in 2001. I had been growing up at a camp in Alberta and working there um, and had left uh, a little bit because I was like an angry teenager and didn't like some changes that were happening at camp. Um, in, in hindsight, they were good changes, but as a 19-year-old, I was pretty angry about them. Yeah. Uh, but a big part of that too is, um, you know, I figured I was queer, I figured I was trans, and it wasn't uh, something that was like supported at the camp I was at. Yeah. Um, so I went to YMCA Camp Elphinstone, uh, ran by the Vancouver Y, and the camp director, uh, Duncan Dixon, took me aside uh, a couple days into staff training and said, you know, Amanda, it's, uh, it's, so, it's okay if you're queer here, and it's okay if you talk to your campers about it, because your queer campers are going to want to have a role model. And that yeah. was kind of the first time I really um, felt wholly included at camp, and I, I just, you know, that summer um, was really foundational in terms of, like, um, helping me understand the power that camp had and, and how it could be like a saving place for our campers. Yes, a saving place. I'm with you. Well, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here and um, glad to have your, your perspective on this issue, your camp director perspective on this issue. Uh, so we're talking today about staff mental health and we're going to rely on Matt to come up with a good snazzy title for this. Um, attention getting title for this, but it's a, a serious topic and it's been um, something that Dan's been very vocally advocating for recently, both in um, summer camp professionals, in his professional wildlife and, and in his role as the tri-state conference chair. And um, I think it's something that we've all seen. Certainly uh, this group has had lots of discussions at the end of the summers about how it's changing in our staff, in our campers. And um, I don't want to open up the discussion too much, but really want to focus on staff and, and how that's affecting and changing our role as camp directors. So Dan, what, is, there anything, is there anything in particular that has made this uh, a hot button issue for you? Yeah, um, so uh, thank you for, for that as well too. Um, it's funny, you know, I think we're at this crux right now where um, 20 years ago uh, when operating camps, we didn't think we needed a camp nurse. Mm -hmm. and now um, I think um, every camp definitely has a nurse if not has doctors at their camps. And uh, I think we're at the same part with mental health where we're saying we know this is going beyond our scope of what we can do with camp staff, but we don't, we're not, sure about how to do it and i think i think 20 years from now every camp will have a mental health professional i think that's the the trend and rate we're going um yeah. uh, i i a horrible statistic um suicide is uh, the second leading cause of death for teens um after accidents um that's the extreme example um uh you know uh, i'm talking to our alumni and several people work in schools and and um, they're just adding mental health counselors and, and licensed clinical social workers and other professionals um, at, pretty rapidly right now yeah. in schools. And if you look at what our kids are facing, um, both our campers and our staff, um, it's pretty staggering. You, know, you have the pressures of life. You have uh, people entering student debt immediately and not buying homes. We're seeing that affect the society. And then um, we have people worried about People coming into their schools and, and hurting them, you know. And I think uh, when we get a child um, for nine months of the year, they're being supported with different services through the school. And then when they come to camp and they don't have access to those services as easily, or if you're remote like I am, and you can't just pop down to a clinic easily. Um, it really makes it 
hard. So, um, so all this is happening in our society. And meanwhile, as I talk to camp professionals, um, you know, being on the, the tri-state chair, I, I, I do call a few people when I go to conferences. I ask them what, you know, what are they worried about, what their concerns are. Um, mental health is definitely the first one that, that comes up. Um, and for a lot of um, people, it's a, a few things. One is they might not have the skill set or the knowledge, but they do have the skill set and knowledge. It's just the amount of time that goes into it. I mean, when you're working with somebody that needs that much development or needs that much support, uh, it really takes up a lot of time. And it's not something to mess around with. Uh, the consequences are severe. So for me, um, I, I recognize I'm in a part of, um, I'm in a position of privilege right now where I could, I'm holding the megaphone for lack of better words. So I'm just using that megaphone very loudly on this issue and um, making sure people understand the importance of it and taking it seriously. Um, so so um, it, it also changes by state. You know, some states have some different resources. Um, uh, I'm not sure familiar, um, Canada's handling it as well too, but um, you know, so yeah, topic-wise, it's something where I think 20 years now, when we, we look back on camping, this is we're gonna be like, wow, I don't know how we got through that time period. Um, it'll be a very clear answer, but uh, right now, it's, it's something where people need to be advocating. And we talk to your insurance companies; they're pushing the same way, and yeah. they're often seeing the trends as well too. So, um, so that's that is why I've kind of taken it on this issue as a whole. Um, and, really have been banging the drum about it, so. Right. Amanda, when we were talking about having you on a show, one of, uh, this was an issue that was close to something that you were describing. What are some of the things that, um, that are coming into your awareness uh, as a director at a camp these days? Yeah, so I think Dan's exactly right that, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't really think about um, mental health in terms of campers, and it's certainly not in terms of staff, right? I didn't, as, as, a, as a counselor, I worked with staff that had diagnosed mental health uh, concerns, but they were all like fairly stable and had, you know, had good control of their mental health when they were at camp. And I don't think, uh, I don't think that trend is continuing in, in, in such a way that it used to be. So, I mean, we're seeing a lot more staff come in with uh, general anxiety. We're seeing a lot more staff come in um, without the tools to handle their mental health, a lot more staff coming in who have never been away from home. And, and don't know, um, you know, they're they're not registering themselves for university. Their parents are registering them for university, or their family's the one like filling out their staff application, even if like you put steps in place to try to 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 catch that. And and so by the time staff get to camp, you know, they're it's just so overwhelming for them to be in a place where they don't have their normal supports and they haven't learned how to um, how to lean on themselves, I guess. So. Um, it's something that is pretty concerning. We, uh, you know, for, there was a kind of a perfect storm in my camp last year in terms of I was the new director. We only had six returning staff out of 67. And um, because of the physical abilities of our campers and how much personal care we have to put into making sure they're safe and supported and can be engaged, that means that, um, you know, campers that need someone to do full, full care on them can't and can't function as that staff member the next year. So we're not raising our own staff team. So, so many of our staff come in and have never worked at a camp before at all, let alone a facility like ours. Um, and we saw 10 staff in the first six days um, quit uh, with very short notice. Um, and all of them mentioned it was, um, it was just too much for them. There was anxiety. I mean, some of them, we had had conversations half an hour before they their parents showed up and they said they were doing great, right? And then they're, you know, a car pulls into the parking lot and 
Um, and so we're just, you know, it was really a struggle to try to support the staff that were, were having a hard time with their mental health and also the staff that were picking up the load for those people that weren't able to stay. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're working really hard this year to try to put systems in place to, to catch that stuff really. So some of the things we're doing, um, all our staff supervisors are getting certified in uh, mental health first aid this year. Um, uh, we have a social worker on, on call who used to work at camp um, and is a registered social worker right now and comes in two days a week. Um, they're going to be supervising a social work student who's going to be working with us as well. So there'll be someone there uh, all weekdays. Um, and we're actually really fortunate that we're technically within the city limits of London, Ontario. So we have access to a 24-hour crisis line um, in hospitals that uh, other folks don't have access to. But we're trying to build like a multi-stage uh, system so, you know, our staff can our staff supervisors can catch like emergencies through mental health first aid as quickly as possible and then funnel them to the right person, whether that's the social worker or some outside help as well. Right. Thank you. What a crazy first summer. Yeah. And, and over, we, had, we have 67 staff positions and yeah. 27 staff uh, didn't finish their contracts last year. So, right. um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. I didn't see a lot of camp. I was doing a lot of hiring. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, this is the story I'm hearing in it, uh, from a lot of camp directors is that um, they're asking, how do you, how do you not only strategically plan to keep camp going, but how do you support uh, people that are going through this? Yeah, and um, Gab, I promise I want to check in with you. It's part of the opening, but I, I must say that Watching the camp community with this unique perspective that we have through summer camp professionals, it is, and going to so many conferences and speaking at so many conferences, it is amazing to me how much rage this is giving to camp directors. That there's, they're just angry at people. They're angry at their staff. They're angry at staff's parents. They're um, just so. Um, Frustrated. I get it. It's it, everything is changing so fast. Um, but um, I wanted this to be a discussion that helps us get to um, a point where there's less anger in the industry at the people that we love and trust that have done this this job for us. So, at World Gab, is there um, have there has there been something that has changed the way you folks are dealing with? Um, staff and mental health and anxiety, et cetera? I think, um, like what you're talking about in the sense of anger, um, I think that, you know, a lot of the times anger comes from something that we don't have control over and, and we wish it just wasn't there. And usually it comes from a place of care. We're, we care about people and we kind of just wish they didn't feel so poorly or crappy mm -hmm. or whatever. And, um, or we wish that parents, you know, stopped harming their kids by overprotecting um, and, and, I, and, and sort of that anger, I, I really sympathize with it. Um, I think for, for us really it's, it's looking at um, societal pressures or societal construct versus medical and um, sort of making sure, and, and of course they can, they can overlap with each other, but what, what we're looking at is the intense pressures um, internal pressures and internal self-talk that our young women are are facing mm -hmm. and the realities of that they're just not good enough. They're not good enough to express um, how they feel. 
uh, because they should be able to handle it. They're not good enough at their job, so they don't ask for help. They're not good enough uh, physically. They're not good enough intellectually, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's something that we're inheriting from our society. And as camp directors, we, don't, we, we do not have, and I think this is where camp directors have, have a misconception that we create this safe little space for our staff and our campers, and then everything's going to be great and lovely. Mm-hmm. We inherit um, the societal norms. And so it's, it's looking at those norms and saying, and, and then being transparent with our, with our staff to start with. What, what are our struggles today? Uh, what are we individually um, fighting uh, against and fighting for and sort of opening up that conversation and then also being open and honest about uh, stress and anxiety and negative self-talk and how and, and providing them with the tools of, of shifting that. We've started doing journaling um, in the sense of uh, actually acknowledging the things that they're proud of uh, that they did that day as much as how little that is um, because what we've noticed is that there's such a high negative self-talk that it, that anxiety just builds and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also created a curriculum so that it shows them this, we can actually show them almost the, some, a lot of our staff need proof. They, you know, uh, Michael Brandwine talks about, you know, specifics terrific and he's right in the sense of, of you can't just tell somebody you're doing a great job. You need to explain why we're, we've created a curriculum so that they can physically see the steps that, they're growing as an individual um, and that the work that they're putting in is, is paying off. Um, but I think the, the other part that uh, Amanda was talking about is having a social worker. We also have a social worker on call. Um, as camp directors, we can't take on, um, we're not experts in the field of, um, of psychiatry and we're not experts. Uh, some, some camp directors are social workers, but, that's a lovely combo pack, but not mm-hmm. all of us are. And we have to recognize where our expertise lies. And our expertise lies in staff training and uh, um, giving the tools to staff that they need to support their campers, uh, developing a good program, making sure the septic system is emptied. Like, that's, that's our job. Um, but beyond that, we cannot be the ones that are in charge of or pretending to know uh, how to handle somebody that actually needs medical attention and care. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, right. Like so many things, a camp director, um, wouldn't say fix it, but, um, you know, it's like, Oh, we'll figure it out. You know, you have this attitude, like we can do it. <laughs> and then this is the topic where you don't really mess around and you can't, you can't just throw candy at it or, you know, throw hugs at it. You know, it's like, it, it, it's a much more complicated, uh, in terms of support and it's taking it seriously right like I think I think the thing is is that what's difficult when somebody's struggling to the point where you can't assist them is that you can't actually physically see it if somebody's ble- bleeding if um, if they are diagnosed with diabetes etc that's in it still in our society that it seems to be taken more seriously and real and we wouldn't pretend to know exactly what to do in these situations we consult with a physician yes. But when it comes to, uh, to mental health um, and extreme struggles, we're still in a place where we don't take it serious enough to, to say, this person need, needs more than just me. And I think that's where camp directors, we have to learn the lines and um, doing the, uh, Amanda, what was it called? Mental, uh, first aid? Mental health first aid. 
starting there just so you understand where that line is, is, is very important. Yeah, I like to, um, Gabs, I think you're absolutely right that, uh, you know, we're, we like to think that camp's a safe bubble and it, and it's not right. And, uh -huh. and, uh, and, you know, we can't really control what staff and campers come into camp with, but yeah. to a certain extent, like we can, can help to control um, that they're leaving with something positive, right? So I think there's going to be a shift in the industry away from seeing, um, you know, we talk about transferable skills in terms of like hard skills and that kind of stuff, but I think there's going to be a shift where uh, folks are starting to look, really take a look at how to build transferable skills in terms of like grit and resiliency and mental health um, support in staff. And, and, and I think that will help deal with part of like the anger and the rage that's happening um, when, when it becomes just part of your everyday thinking that how am I going to help staff develop resiliency today? Um, and, you know, I always like to tell the first time I see a staff member who has a parent or a guardian or a family member get really mad at them. Um, and, you know, use some pretty extreme language or use some pretty extreme, like, uh, behavior tactics to try to get what they want. I always take that staff member aside and say, you know, like, it's not personal, it might feel personal. But you have to understand that this is a behavior that has gotten this person what they need for a big part of their life. And so when you're seeing staff uh, who can't deal with, um, you know, the rigors of camp or, 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 you know, putting up walls and not being able to engage or, or, you know, resigning pretty quickly, like I talk to staff the same way that like this is a behavior that's kept them emotionally and physically safe. And, you know, we might not understand it and it might feel personal, but it's not. And how can we help this person develop other skills and other behavior patterns that will get them to the same place that might be more pro-social or fit into our culture a little bit better. And that has been, you know, pretty effective at, at helping people see that, you know, they might have a parent screaming at them, but it has nothing to do about them, right? That's something that that parent um, has used their entire life to, to get, to meet their needs. And like, how do we, how do we shift that, right? So I don't want to spend I don't want to spend a time on this, but I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to 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 to, to illustrate or or from the three of you from the work that you've done on this topic. Why is it? Dan alluded to this, but let's spend two minutes or four minutes on this real specifically. Why are staff more stressed, anxious, and um, have mental health issues that are closer to the surface today than before? I mean, I think, I think it's, I do think it is a, it's, I think partially it's just recognizing, I mean, it, in the, I don't know, I think Lethal Weapon was out in, the first one was out in like the late 80s or something like that. And I remember watching it, my family is all, you know, during the summer, it's all girls, and then during the winter, it's guide movies. So, um, so Lethal Weapon, basically, uh, you know, Mel Gibson's character, he loses his wife, and that's where we start off the movie, and he's paired with Danny Glover, and nobody wants to work with uh, Mel Gibson because he's crazy. That's, that's the term that they use. They're just like, he's crazy, and he's a crazy guy. And really, what he's suffering from is the loss of his wife, and mm -hmm. he's very upset, and he's, he's hurting. But it's... I remember rewatching this movie just recently this Christmas and that was the terminology. So I think at, at one, in one place there was, a, there was, there was anxiety. Um, we just weren't looking at it. Um, we were looking more at, at people we we're calling uh, staff that were shy or uh, hidden away 
um, they're maybe probably suffering from anxiety and but we are mislabeling it so I think that's one but two um, for me it's definitely um, which I've talked about before it's how much uh, media um, um, our, 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 our staff members are receiving and absorbing and it's gone up 150% um, in I think it's about 15 years, 150% of information that people are absorbing. And it's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and it's a lot of helplessness. And when you don't have power or you don't know where you have power, that can cause a lot of anxiety. And then as Dan said, um, not, not, uh, our, our staff won't have probably the future that their parents had. Uh, houses, uh, security and jobs. So there's this mis-expectation from parents that are putting on pressure that you need to hit where I'm, where I'm at and uh, our young adults are, are like, I, I can't, but I'm going to try to, but I, I, I don't know how. And um, the amount of conversations I've had with staff, just even last night I had a conversation with a staff member talking about her parents and she really believed that her and I think her parents are very kind in a way, but the amount of pressure that they're putting on her, um, she, it's, for her, she doesn't realize yet it's unbearable, but the way she's talking mm -hmm. to me, it's unbearable. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just being pumped into her. Yeah. And um, uh, that exact topic is, uh, is what the keynote is about, um, is the pressures that um, parents are putting on children and uh, the myths that we, we have with our kids, like. Uh, one of the ones she really talks about is like how every parent is like so stressed about making sure their kids are happy, but by doing that, um, they're making them unhappy. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's something where I don't think enough people understand the, that this youth is uh, having different pressures than, than just 10 years ago. Um, even five years ago, if you look at how social media is, has changed things, um, Compared to, compared to now, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think media does play a big part of it. And I just, um, you know, there's lots of studies that talk about, um, you know, violence and violent crime and, and kidnappings and that kind of thing have actually really decreased over the, you know, past 30, 40 years. But because that's what we hear about in the media, the world seems much more dangerous, right? So we don't, it's not the same place as when I grew up, I used to, you know, go into my back alley with the neighborhood kids and like come out eight hours later and my parents, you know, were totally cool with that. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays, like, you know, you see a nine year old kid like walking 10 blocks to school by yeah. themselves and people are upset about it. And, and, you know, it was in that eight hours that I hang out with my friends that I learned that like, if I fell out of a tree and wasn't that badly hurt, that I could brush it off. Or like, if I was having a conflict with one of my friends, like my, my family wasn't there to immediately like deal with it right like we started working through that kind of stuff so i think um you know i think we're at this stage where like kids aren't necessarily left to their own devices in a way that helps them develop those skills early on and and learn what healthy risk is and learn how to how to build that resiliency and um you know and so by the time we see kids at camp and we see staff members there you know they're they just don't know how to how to keep themselves help like happy and get yeah. themselves back on track right and um you know and I think a big part of it like I you know I love my phone and I love being in touch with the world and I you know read the news till 11 30 at night but I I have the skills to deal with that because I developed them as a kid and I think a lot of our um you know our, our campers nowadays and our, certainly our staff members haven't developed those skills and you know I think how hard it is for me to like read about you know tragedies that are happening um 
and you know how upset I am and how um, and how it takes me a time to like unplug and deal with it and you know do some mental health work myself but um, you know I have that experience and I've been taught how to do that but I you know I have to remind myself that if I'm struggling with something that is happening in the world like um, you know my 18 year old staff are probably struggling with it too but don't know how to support themselves or where to ask for help or how to ask for help right mm -hmm. Gabby, you look like you had something else you wanted to say. I was, I was just, I was just saying that our, our, um, I was just thinking that our schedule at camp is just getting more and more, it's just tighter and tighter and tighter, um, because our staff are having a harder and harder time with free play, and so are our campers. Our home loneliness is going up during those fr that that free time, and our staff don't seem to have the skills on how to encourage campers to do free play. Um, I met my best friend during buddy swim. Um, we hated each other at first, but then, you know, she did an awesome dolphin dive and I was like, wait a minute, best friends? And she was like, yes. So um, that was during free play. And um, we're looking at our schedule now to see where we can actually make our schedule less because it, it, subconsciously, we are trying to support our campers and our staff. And what we've actually done is just kind of replicate what's going on outside of camp, which is mm -hmm. this high, high structure. And it is fueled a little bit by anxiety ourselves. Um, so now we're trying to sort of look at where we can loosen up our schedule and make it a little bit uh, less pressure, less intense, get, get to point A to point B and be okay with the upsetness, be okay with the quote unquote boredom and um, use that as a sort of, as, as Amanda was saying, build re resilience. Yeah. So, Kev, you had some, some solid ideas, some things that you're doing on, almost on the daily to, to give your staff some tools. Um, I wonder if others have some tools that they're giving their staff um, and I don't mean training sessions, let's make sure we cover that, but um, is there daily stuff that you're giving your tools you're giving your staff to, to do with things in a day? I would say the two biggest that we're doing is um, we have um, a sheet uh, made up of uh, local free resources. Um, so uh, uh, for instance, we have um, like uh, where the free clinic is in their hours where uh, a phone number they could call, um, a few different resources for the area that our county is providing. And I have it posted in the staff lounge and a few other areas where staff congregate. Um, so they don't have to come to their supervisor when they are having a concern or wanna have privacy with what they're uh, experiencing. And then um, the other that we've been doing is really just doing our best to really respect time off in uh, terms of if someone's asking for it, to do our best to give it to them. And to, instead of assume, the, uh, Often we assume the worst is managers that, oh, why do you need this time off or you're using this time off the wrong way? Instead, saying, okay, we'll work with you, we'll, we'll roll with it, and, um, and and figuring it out, and then uh, keeping an eye on it. If it becomes habitual, maybe that person needs more support rather than uh, than to be having harder conversations. Mm. Thanks. Yeah, and some things we're doing is we're having, um, I mean, this year we have many more returning staff than we had last year, which is wonderful. Um, and we're having them reach out to the new staff coming in, particularly um, we have a very high percentage of international staff because we're not growing our own counselors in-house. 
Um, and so we're having, you know, returning staff that are from Ireland reach out to the folks from Ireland who are coming so that they have some other support system by the time they get there. They've had, you know, two or three conversations with those returning staff. Um, and that's kind of twofold, right? That's to help the new staff who come in to be able to, um, you know, have someone safe and comfortable to talk to who's not their direct supervisor, but it's also a way that we're, we're hoping to develop our returning staff to develop some of those competencies in terms of, um, you know, being able to have difficult decisions and being able to support other folks and being able to, to build, um, you know, their skills and techniques and themselves to be resilient and, and be gritty. Um, so that by the time they arrive, we've kind of benefited both of those populations of, of folks, the incoming staff and the, and the returning staff. Um, and similar to what Dan said, we post information about, um, you know, where they can access free help in the area, how they can get there. And our social, we're, we're blessed here that we have registered nurses on site. Um, and all the scheduling that goes through, um, if, I, if a staff member wants to schedule a, a meeting with the social worker, then they talk to the nurse and all that information is held confidential. Like, I don't even know, uh, if I find it infuriating sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, you know, is Jim going to be back at work? And they're like, I can't really talk to you about it. Uh, you'll have to talk to Jim about it. But, you know, we're really clear in staff training throughout the summer that if you talk to a nurse, it's confidential. If you schedule an interview with the, or a, a meeting with a social worker, it's confidential. And all that happens on, like, our scheduled uh, break time. So it's not like that camp, that staff members can be missed in the middle of like high ropes and it's going to be noticed. And I think that's gone a long way just to really talk about how confidential those conversations are and about how they're not getting to, you know, their supervisor or to me, unless of course there's like a safety issue. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, that's, you know, it's confidential information. I think that's helping really helping folks to, to feel safe and also hopefully um, you know, if this is the first time they're talking to someone that's like a professional that can help with mental health, you know, getting that, you know, understanding what that process looks like in like a fairly safe environment. So if they need to access a mental health professional outside of camp, they've had a taste of what it might look like and how it feels, right? And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. yeah that sounds really important too. Gab, is there stuff, other stuff that you would add that you folks are doing on the daily or other resources available that you haven't talked about? No, I think, I think basically it's, it's, uh, it is educating yourself as much as possible and getting support where you can. And yeah. that's, the, that's the number one thing as a camp director is to go from there. Yeah. Mm. I must say this is, um, it, it's odd. It's a hard time to be a young adult. It's a hard time to be a camp director. And I mm -hmm. think that all of those uh, feelings of frustration that people are expressing are part of that. And I hope that mm -hmm. everyone listening is um, seeking their own support or developing their own support. I think that this job is only going to get harder. It becomes more pressure on us as directors because we see the the value of what we offer at camp and, and this place where we can offer skills and a listening ear to campers and young staff but we need to make sure we're developing that in our in ourselves as well in our, in our own support so i think that's an important thing to, to make sure we say today um this topic is so big uh there's a couple things i want to cover and then we may have to sort of cap it off but um Amina, can you talk about where you folks found the mental health first aid and uh, what that, just a quick description of what that looks like, what it is? Yeah, of course. Uh, so it's the Canadian 
Mental Health Foundation, I believe there's a bunch of different organizations that all have very similar acronyms. Um, but if you search mental health first aid uh, in Canada, you'll get um, a list. Uh, you'll get um, a list of instructors and courses. So you can look. You can look up on like one central website who's offering courses, and also if there's an instructor in your area. So what we did last year and what we're doing again this year is we're bringing in an instructor uh, to run the program at our camp. Mental Health mm -hmm. First Aid is a two-day program. Um, you can add an additional like two hours onto it to uh, specialize in, um, you know, if you're if your uh, staff are working with like indigenous populations or we're this year having someone to come and instruct uh, mental health first aid for adults that interact with youth. Uh, and it's got another module added to it that's mostly um, eating disorders that's added. Yeah. Um, but it's very similar to standard first aid in that um, you know you're you're taught an acronym uh, that you use to success, like to diagnose how not a mental health disorder but how serious something is and like when yeah. you get help and how you can push people there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it costs generally it depends on the instructor but between 100 and 120 dollars um, all in for the instruction and the manual and stuff for an individual. Um, and it's it was like one of the lifesavers we had last year with our high staff turnovers having all our our senior staff and our counseling uh, our cabin leaders have that um, made a huge difference in in our ability to to continue to function last year yeah. when we were you know down a sixth of our staff team for a good chunk right. of the summer so mm -hmm. uh, there's um there's also a website too mentalhealthfirstaid.org um, I think it's more U.S. based but with future courses um, so and you can find instructors like. Um, one of our year-round staff took it, and then um, uh, we're actually in talks with uh, somebody right now to see if they can teach it, bring staff training again to our senior staff. Yeah. So. Great. 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 Well, it's, okay, so we've talked around the topic. We've talked around some of the things you would do. What What would be, Dan, what would you be your advice to a camp director who's becoming more aware of this, more concerned? Um, hopefully hasn't had a crisis uh, yet, but, but yeah. wants to, to make sure they're ahead of these things and, and do better at looking after, uh, in this case, we're talking today about the staff in particular. Yeah, you know, I would, um, I would first encourage the, the coursework that um, I've been speaking about. I would um, also encourage speaking um, to whoever um, sanctions your camp. So for, you know, U.S. camps, uh, New York State, for instance, the Department of Health, um, they uh, will be a good uh, a good starting ground to learn what you legally can do in your state as well too. Um, for instance, New York State, I can't legally hire an LCSW, uh, but there's some other things I can do. Um, so I would talk to those. Uh, I would look at that course. I would talk to your whoever sections you. I also talk to your insurance. Uh, you know, I was uh, at a presentation with Ann Skyer not too long ago, and uh, they are very much on top of it in terms of uh, making sure that camps are. are um, taking this topic seriously, and so your insurance um, uh, should have some good information of where to direct you as well, too. Right, right, right. Um, what's LCSW? SW, I get a social work. What's LC? Oh, uh, it's a licensed clinical social worker. Gotcha. So. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, and in Canada, I would say to talk to your local school board, because uh, mm. I think they're a little bit ahead of the curve on this and might have uh, both the resources and also potentially a social worker that's interested in, you know, coming out to camp a day a week. Uh, right. kind of thing or being on call. Um, uh, just in my experience, they've started kind of integrating mental health uh, over the past five years and are a little bit ahead of us in terms of um, what kind of support you can offer and what it might look like. Mm. 
Excellent. Thanks. Gab, what advice would you give to people who want to get ahead of this? I think um, it's in my tool of the week. <laughs> yeah. So I can go right into that if you wanted to. Or Well, let's, let's hold on to that. And uh, obviously, we'll get to the tool of the week. But um, it, I, so we have all these things that we are doing on site um, in the summer, all incredibly important to help to, to provide a, a best service possible to um, to our campers. Um, I have one other thing that is, I mean, it's very personal to me. It, it's um, it, because I have clinical depression and um, I have always found that the hardest points for me, um, especially, and this is when I was before, I feel like this is a thing that I have a control of now. I didn't when I was a young adult. And um, and my hardest times are when I came home from camp, my hardest times ever. That was certainly when I was first diagnosed. It's been times that I've been in care of a psychologist have all been in the fall after camp. And for me, it was this feeling of um, I was empowered. I was in control. People trusted in me. And then all of a sudden, I went back to being a student. And um, that, along with whatever the chemistry aspect of that is, it's just incredibly hard for me in the fall. And... Um, and I, so I wonder from each of you, do you have or are you thinking about what the aftercare looks like for our staff, let alone not just the ones who, who've had to leave early, but the ones who, um, you know, who are there and, and have to make a transition back to either being back in the bubble that their parents put them in or, um, you know, then going out on their own, being away at school and, and having to deal with lots of things without the support of a camp director who's um, thoughtful and kind about these things. What, what are your thoughts or what have you been thinking about what, what after the summer looks like for you? I think for us it's been, um, uh, it's actually asking the staff what they want and um, letting them uh, build that support and us supporting that support, um, if that's not too much inception. But, um, mm. But I think every year um, is, is a different year. And if it comes from them, I feel, again, um, I like to talk about power a little bit, but if you can give them that power of conversation and, and, and suggestion and, and, and see what they actually want, I've, I've been finding that's been very useful. Um, two years ago, I opened up my house uh, to people on Sundays that wanted to come by and we would cook together, we'd watch American football together. Um, but really it was a place that people knew that the door was open uh, once a week, you know, for family dinner. And that came from staff members um, and um, group gatherings or just even uh, a, a check-in, you know, two weeks after from, from the director and leadership team members. But, but asking them has been um, our latest thing that I've really enjoyed. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, in terms of supporting um, folks that are heading back to school, like college or university, something when I worked for the Diabetes Canada running camps for kids with type 1, things we would always tell uh, campers and staff that were going into university for the first time was to register with their disability services uh, group on campus immediately, even if they didn't think they had ever needed help before or might not need help, because 
you know, when you have a persistent low the morning of an exam, you can't possibly sit it because you can't like sit up and you're worried you might have to go to the hospital. That's not the time to try to figure out how to get help, right? So yeah. um, we do similar things with staff that have been talking to social workers or staff that have been talking to supervisors about their concerns or even just talking about anxiety in general is asking them like, have you registered with disability services? This is what it looks like. Do you need help talking? Um, do you need help finding those resources before you leave camp? Um, because, you know, the, kind of the hardest time to get help is when you need it immediately, right? And if you're already yeah. in the system and you have, you know what it might look like and you can access that, that stuff immediately, you don't have to go through the registration process. It, I find that that has helped our staff be set up for success um, in the year round. Because um, I think, Travis, you're right, the transition is, is one of the hardest things for, for staff. Certainly for me, it was really hard to leave camp every summer. Yep. Um, you know, for us, we just, we really focus on debriefing with the staff. Um, so when the staff leave, um, we set up conversations on the debrief how their summer went and also talk about um, going forward into the next summer. So that's, we, that and, and just keeping in touch on social media, like we'll keep the momentum going and, um, you know, we find stuff for lost and found or we think something's funny, you know, we'll keep our staff group that we had from the previous summer still going. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, those are the two things that we, we do. Uh, I feel like with our network, we personally know how people are doing, um, and it's just being intentional, making sure we're following up when we hear somebody struggling. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to argue, I don't want to sound like I'm arguing with that, Dan. I, um, I just want people to think about the fact that um, this, is, uh, this is one of those aspects of our job that we can't necessarily systematize and toolatize and, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. it can't be a spreadsheet thing. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying at all. Um, yeah, yeah. What, um, what I'm cautious about is the face that people are putting out on social media being the per their perfect self versus whatever's yes, going yeah. in. So I, I cropping out the sadness is I think it was yes, the yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um I uh so I think that that um check ins are great and personal messages are great. And I heard the story third hand and um so I don't know who to give credit for it, but uh I know it was um a camp director who uh, of a girls camp who was really after um, her staff to to private message her on Instagram, and it was often questions like, um, "Show me, show me what you're eating. Like, I want to know that you're eating well. Uh, show me what you're doing. You know, where your meditation space is. Where you're finding that. You know, when you found five minutes to meditate, or you know, just plain simple mindfulness. Then, like." Let's do that. So I think that we can use the tools that are available to us to make that connection strong and get past the the front of, of social media using social media. So I think that there's, there's some awesome tools in there. One of the things that um, that we ran out of time to do when we were directing, but it was something that we'd always wanted to do was um, have alumni check in or introduce themselves to staff when they show up in their town, they go away to college in this town and there's alumni there, then you know that alumni would just at least raise their hand and say, hey, I'm here if you wanna talk about um, how camp went, I'd love to hear how your summer was. Um, not really put any pressure on them to do it, but just let them know that there's someone who's been through the same thing that they were going through in that transition. And uh, so, we didn't do that as well as we could. We also had um, connection and, and resources from being a Presbyterian church camp that we could connect people with 
um, congregations in their new communities that could be a check-in. I think that's less effective in our specific camp, that's less effective these days um, just because of the pressures that individuals in leadership in, in congregational ministry are under. They, there's just not a lot of pressure to take on um, doing that as well as they'd like to. So uh, it's one of those things I'd love for to be the, the role of alumni. I've talked in my alumni presentation about how we need to train staff that, that they will become alumni and that there are continued responsibilities there. And without adding pressure to them, it's just like, we hope that you're going to be the person who will be available when people go to college in London, Ontario, um, that you're going to be the person uh, that will at least say hello to them once in a while. And I think that we can use other tools like Bonjour, which is one of my tools of the week from this year, um, to just send messages to say, I'm thinking about you. If you need anything, please reach out. Please don't feel like you're doing this alone, etc. So there's a few things you can do. Well, that was heavy. Uh -huh. um, but I appreciate your honesty. Gab, did you have something you wanted to say to wrap up? 